evening. There are many ways for us to pray. During the season of Lent, we are going to take time in every service to engage in an ancient tradition of the church called corporate confession. This is a way that we confess our sin, confess our need of God, and hear God's forgiveness toward us. So um, one of the uh, ways that we can do this is through song, and Pastor Banning and his team will lead us. But I invite you, the words will be on the wall, uh, hopefully. Uh, I invite you to listen if that is the best way for you to engage in this prayer practice together, or I invite you to sing along. But allow these words to become our prayer together, and then I will close us in our time of prayer. Almighty God, we confess our sin. What we have done, what we have left them to you. 
And even as we do, we confess that we want to put them out there and move away from them as quickly as possible. But we ask that you would not only grant us forgiveness, which you do, but what we long for most is transformation is a lasting healing and change even of our inmost parts this is not something that we can do for ourselves nor is it something that you can do without our participation So we ask that you would make us very aware of you, Holy One, sitting with us in our truth. Help us to have the courage to participate in your work of healing us from the inside out. Give us in this evening together Give us ears to hear, hearts open to receive, minds, bodies, and spirits ready to walk forward in obedience. We pray this together in the name and spirit of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I want to greet you in the strong and the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors here. Uh, And on Ash Wednesday of this week, I confess that uh, Lent has never been my favorite season. There has not really ever been a time when I have looked forward to Lent until this year. Um, As our family deals with some difficult things, we have felt the God who is with us actually suffer with us. And so my prayer is that you would feel that as well. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, I have friends right here. Friends who will bring you a Bible. I have Bibles. They have Bibles in English and in Spanish. If your heart language is Spanish or if you're practicing your Spanish, you're welcome to take a Bible. There was one over here. Raise your hand. I'm going to be reading on the New Living Translation. Thank you. And before I do, I just, I want to say a few things to us. Uh, here we are in the season of Lent, and uh, the season of Lent is the season by which our sin is revealed. Nobody talks about sin anymore. We don't even talk about sin in the church. So, uh, there was a day when you would go to church and, and you couldn't avoid the topic of sin. That was the only topic that was spoken of. Some churches are really well-versed in talking about sin. Maybe they're too well-versed. Some, to be, some seem to be experts in pointing out sin in the world and sin in others. Uh, one of my favorite characters on television, Barney Fife from The Andy Griffith Show, uh, said it best after a church, after church service when he said to the minister, Yes, sir, that's just one subject you can't talk enough about, sin. But in churches anymore, we actually avoid the topic. We skip it all together because we want to go straight for the grace. There's no need for sin. And perhaps it's because the topic isn't very attractive. 
We're sophisticated now. We're enlightened, scientific. If we spread it thin enough, there might not be any taste left. But the chemicals that will poison us are always there. Perhaps we don't talk about it because it's not really that user-friendly. No one wants to hear a sermon that makes them think that they're not good enough. You want a good self-help sermon, a good self-esteem talk. Perhaps it's not talked about anymore because there's new sensitivity towards those who have been beaten down from the topic of sin and have to pay a therapist $180 an hour to rebuild them. They felt so bad about themselves. Whatever the reason for talking about sin or avoiding sin, it's important to keep the topic in check. C.S. Lewis said that when we talk about the nature of evil, he said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or evils. He said one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. My friend Dan Boone says this, that sin, like love, is a slippery word. In our youth, we're playful about sin. We make it humorous or we rationalize it. In some cases, we keep it big and grandiose. We keep it at a distance. It's way out there at arm's length. But sin is this. It's personal and it perverts who we are. It makes us less than human. It actually has the ability to steal our being and it burns us up. It destroys us violently and it does it through torture over a long, long period of time. Sin can be simple enough when you see it in the little child that throws the temper tantrum. Uh, but after a little while, that little one will stoke the fire, stoke the fire of that anger. And it takes on a whole new perspective when at 40 years old, they notice that they're actually trapped in a cycle where that anger has taken root and they find themselves in torment that, you know, grows into something like domestic violence. The same thing could be said for lust or greed or envy. So what is it that we do with this topic of sin during this time of the season? What do we do with a topic that's painful to discuss, but actually also seems quite necessary? I think one of the things that we do is we look at the source of our sin. We need to take some time to analyze it, maybe even spend a season doing so, to see what it's all about and where it comes from. And we do this because we want to see what God wants to do about this. We're in this holy season called Lent. And if Advent is the season whereby we prepare for our healing, and Christmas is the season whereby we give gifts of healing, and Epiphany is the season where we're astonished when our healing shows up, then Lent is the season where we must face the fact that our sin brings the healing that we long for to a halt. Throughout history, the church has said that there are these seven deadly vices that are the seedbeds for sin. Wrath, or what we call anger, sloth, lust, envy, gluttony, greed, and pride. You notice that racism, or nuclear war, or human trafficking, or even murder, or lying, or disobeying your parents, things that come from the Ten Commandments, you notice that those things are not on the list. The things that I think are really, really bad aren't on this list. The deadliest seven are the ones that are usually the most ordinary, the most mundane, the trite, the unspectacular, the petty in nature. But they're also the ones that we all have inside of us. And Gregory the Great said that these seven are the seven leaders of wicked armies. 
and they are also the necessary first step that allows all other evils to enter into our lives. So during Lent, we want to explore these seven, and hopefully at the end of our exploring, we, f- we, we find a God who wants, who wants to heal us more than even we want healing. So we want to look in this text together, Romans chapter 12, and we want to start, we want to start with verse 17. And at our church, we stand to honor the reading of God's word, and so I want to invite you to stand as we hear Paul's epistle to the Romans. So hear the word of the Lord for us on this first Sunday in the season of Lent. Paul says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. This is the word of God for the people of God. And let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So when the movie, uh, The Avengers, came out in 2012, I went to see it with my family. I'm a bit of a Marvel nerd. Any other Marvel nerds in here? Tanner, I see you. There you are. I know. I went to see the Avengers in 2012, but uh, there was one scene that actually left me very uncomfortable. Andy, are we going to be able to play it? I want you to see this scene. Here we go. This fight focused on us, and that's what we need. Without him, these things could run wild. We got Stark up top. He's going to need us to... So... This all seems horrible. I've seen worse. Sorry. No, we could use a little worse. Stuck. We got him. Banner? Just like you said. Then tell him to suit up. I'm bringing the party to you. I, I don't see how that's a party. Dr. Banner, now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. Are you excited? <laughs> now I went into the mo- I went to this movie when it was in the theaters, and at the moment that Dr. Banner turned into the Hulk, everybody in the theater cheered. But I, on the other hand, held my breath. I I felt chills run down my spine because I thought when he turned into the Hulk, oh no, that's me. So I want you to hear my confession, okay? This is a serious confession. I have been an angry person. I know anger. I have dressed down people in public. 
slammed doors, tried to intimidate folks through fits, and even through items. That's been me. And the early church pointed out that, uh, that anger, yes, is one of those sins that'll actually get you. It'll tear you up from the inside. What causes people to strap bombs to their chest? To beat their wives and their girlfriends? To abandon their children? To purposefully drive others into bankruptcy? To humiliate their neighbor without thinking? To get out of their cars to fight a stranger in the middle of the street? It's anger. Unresolved anger. Unresolved anger is misdirected. It's anger misguided. It's that anger that makes its way into us because of the powerlessness that we feel or because the expectations that we have have gone gone unmet or because of the fear that buries its way inside us. We feel out of control and there's, there's no way to fix what we need when we need fixing. There's no way that we can heal it or get it back. Our powerlessness, our powerlessness leads to anger. Our loss leads to anger. Our unmet expectations lead to anger. A mother that didn't protect. A police officer that judged too harshly. A fiance that broke off the engagement. A church that should have helped but didn't. A husband that should have remained faithful. A mom and a dad that should have stayed together. A wife that had cancer and left the family too early. A family that should have protected the little ones against the uncle. A boyfriend that betrayed by passing around pictures on a phone. A roommate that should have kept her mouth shut when secrets were shared. These are things that we've experienced. We're powerless. We feel lost. Our expectations go unmet. Things are not what they were supposed to be. And we feel angry. It leads us to anger. And I think that anger is one of the seven that the church warned about because it it works its way in us and it takes hold in us. And like the plastic container that's filled with acid, it destroys the container first. Anger reveals itself in a variety of ways. It might look like resigned anger. You know, it's the kind that says, I just don't care about anything anymore. Or the crockpot anger. There's always this slow burn that's going on. It's like fuel. A pot with the heat that's always on, ready to boil over at any moment. There's blaming anger, and it usually sounds like this. It's her fault. She's so stupid. Or controlling anger. You know, the, it, the go-to tactic in relationships and work is manipulation and vengeance. There's powder keg anger, always dangerous, just like the Hulk. There's random anger. It just comes surprisingly, always out of nowhere, anywhere. It can come anywhere at any time. My friend Dan Boone says that the devil sets up shop in the low-rent district of anger. And for those people, evil, evil gets in bed, excuse me, and for those people, evil not only works there, but, but it also makes its home there. The devil gets in bed with the angry, stays up with them in their dreams, and is up early in the kitchen preparing the breakfast so that the angry can eat from the bowl of bitterness and spite, prejudice, backstabbing, gossip, abuse, insults, nerves, resentment, rage, tantrums, cussing, sulking, moods, attitudes. 
And before we know it, those of us who are angry, we've eaten the breakfast and our nourishment is poisonous. We become enemy-centered people, distrusting our neighbor, seeing in every person the remnants of the one who has wronged us. Our defenses go up and we're in self-protection mode, giving looks that could kill. Sometimes the angry say that all they want is justice, but anger is just, of this sort, is just justice perverted. This is what the early church called wrath, and it's the sort of anger that's destructive, that leads to vengeance, that's, that destroys. We are angry, and we have our reasons. Paul's instruction about what to do with our anger is really not any different than the instruction given to us by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, who said that if you plot your worst against your neighbor, you're subject to the fires of hell. Whoa. Anger, according to Jesus, is that God-given motion that we feel when we're powerless or when we're afraid or when expectations go unmet. But those who let anger set a fixed place inside them will find that there's hell to pay. I have a friend that said, I've been to hell. I went there several years ago with a group of college students, actually. We were visiting Jerusalem when a guide pointed out the Valley of Henan, which is actually called in the Bible Gehenna. It's the city dump. It's the place where people took their trash and heaved it over the cliff down into the valley. Early in Jewish history, the Ammonites actually sacrificed their babies to their gods in that valley. Gehenna, hell, the place where the trash is burned, the place where everything that is worthless is taken and left. And when anger takes journey from emotion to then contempt to then destruction, there's nothing valuable left in it. I've met people who have, who have, people of anger who have taken that trip. I've been on that trip. Refuge, garbage, waste, Gehenna, hell. Anger can be dangerous and anger takes us to dangerous places. And yet, at least according to the Gospels of Mark and Luke, on Palm Sunday, Jesus went into the temple and he threw an angry fit. It seems so out of character, he took a whip and threw out all of the people who were doing business there. He was indignant, furious. He was having a conniption. And he said, zeal or anger for my father's house has consumed me. In Jesus' last week before he went to the cross, he got angry, and his passions led him to do something that was unexpected. He ended up being angry at the religious, and the first thing that he does with his anger is clean up the religious before he goes to die. Did you notice that? How does that make you feel? You know that Jesus, before forgiving us, is angry with us. You notice that Jesus' anger is not carried out in the politicians or those who build weapons or the big corporations that lead pharaoh-like empires and industrial systems. The people who make me mad, Jesus doesn't seem to get mad at them. He goes for the religious first. You would think that Jesus might be a little bit more moderate or reasonable or grace-filled or gentle. Plato suggests, the, uh, the philosopher Plato suggested that we balance our emotions with reason, like holding on to the reins of a horse. Reason keeps emotions from getting out of control. But Jesus wasn't a Greek philosopher. Jesus was a rabbi from Nazareth, and Jesus 
wasn't the one who did things in moderation. Leave your family, he said. Sell your stuff, he said. Pick up your cross, he said. To anyone who thinks that Jesus is Mr. Nice Guy, all smiles with his halo and his angel-like glow, you've never read the Gospels. The one that says that, the one that they say was the Son of God was the one who wept for Jerusalem and justified his loud, angry, passionate voice in the temple. He was the one that cried out in wild despair as he died on the cross. Jesus was angry. And we are angry. I think we've got some options when it comes to our anger. And the first option is this. We can turn our anger outward. It looks like uh, road rage or putting a fist through a wall or giving the finger or worse. Or we could turn our anger inward, which looks like self-hatred or depression or isolating others or worse. Outward anger hurts others while inward anger hurts us. We could choose one of those two options, and many of us do. But I think there might be a third option. And I think Jesus might be the model for what we do with our anger. Because the third option is this. We could take our anger Godward. Not just outward or inward, but we could take it Godward. Because Jesus did just that. I think that's why he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. God in Jesus knows anger And God knows what to do with anger. And after all, he's been angry and he's been angry with us. And then there is this great permission, be angry, but tell God. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry and scream heavenward. Will Willimon tells a story about an event that happened on the campus at Duke University after a number of sexual assault cases that took place on campus were reported. Thousands of students gathered to have a scream-in outside the university chapel. They stood there outside the chapel in righteous rage and they all screamed together. He said that he longed to participate And his only wish was that they would have felt free to actually come inside the chapel and scream rather than feel like they had to stand outside of it. And I think that's what our invitation is. Our invitation is to bring our anger right here into the place of worship, which is what Jesus did. He did it. And we can do it too. Great injustice. Great anger can actually be given to God as an offering. It becomes the confession in our lives that that we have nothing that can fix whatever has brought harm to us. Unresolved anger puts us on a fast track to Gehenna, to the dump that burns daily. But as one of my friends says, God is an expert in trash recycling. This God is one who can take the refuge and the trash and the garbage and the filth, that which is worthless and left over, and he can construct something useful and purposeful with it. This God can take the worst things in hell and turn them into the very elements of heaven. You know, being a Christian doesn't eliminate our anger. It converts it, and it actually transforms it into something good. And the anger that we feel when we turn it Godward, is not, it's not discarded by God, but it's actually redeemed for useful purposes. Unresolved anger in the hands of God becomes redeemed anger. 
I think anger turned Godward is what happened in the heart of William Wilberforce who saw the slave trading going on in Europe. He went Godward and said, what do you want me to do with this? I think anger toward Godward is what happened in Mother Teresa when in India she saw the down and out, the desperate of the world, and she pointed her anger Godward and she said, what do you want me to do with this? I think anger turned Godward was the motivation for Martin Luther King Jr. to write his letters from a Birmingham jail. He was angry and he turned to Godward and said, what do you want me to do with this? And I think that's why Paul says, don't repay evil for evil. That's a way to turn it inward or to turn it outward. Don't take revenge for vengeance is God. In other words, Paul's saying, give God in God's anger space to work and allow God to do something with that anger. I think that's why Jesus goes in to clean up the temple. He was actually redeeming anger and he started with us, his children. He knows that it's on, he knows that anger puts us on the highway that leads straight to hell, and he just won't have any more of that. A few days later, after Jesus gets mad in the temple, the Romans used an instrument of anger, which was the cross to rid the world of their enemies, and the cross is the picture of unresolved anger at its worst. So here we come into this temple, this place of worship. And we come here to do a scream in. We come here with our indignation and our rage and our wrath and our anger, and we make it an offering, pointing our anger Godward. And we amazingly find out that when we do that, the cross is actually the route out of hell. In fact, when we look at the cross, we get to peer into the very deep mystery and the the heart of a God who had the opportunity to take his anger and strike out against us in vengeance, but instead took that, that energy and that passion and that anger and transformed it and used it to forgive us. The cross is the great rebuke of us. It's a mirror held up to see who we really are, but it's also a symbol to see who God really is. And we see that God cares enough for us to get angry with us and our sin and then forgive us. Some of us want to hold on to our anger, but that destroys. So instead, I think even the most angry of us here, what we really want more than anything is healing And the theological word for healing is resurrection. And we have a God who is good enough and great enough to receive our anger and to take even the most raw human emotions and weave them into his purposes. And this is the good news that is offered to us today. As a prayer of closing, Banning is, before we come to the table, Banning's going to play a song, and I'm going to put some questions here on the wall. And I want you to take a minute as he, uh, as he plays to look at these questions and ponder them. And then uh, after he gets through a course or two, what we'll do is we'll come to the Lord's table.
carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, the reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So run to the Father again and again. So in the church, we do this weird thing. We practice confession. And we've rearranged our sanctuary this evening, and we're going to keep it this way during the season of Lent so that we might just do that. We think that in Lent, when we take a look at ourselves and we take a look at the cross of Christ, it's a good thing for us to confess the difference. And that is where our healing actually begins. So tonight, we want to give you an opportunity to do the spiritual practice of confession. Maybe you are a person with unresolved anger and you bring that anger here as an offering. So we invite you to come to the Lord's table tonight. There are gonna be two servers, one right here and one right here. But I'm gonna stand actually over here and Pastor Michaela is gonna stand over here. And perhaps you wanna come and you wanna make a confession as an offering. Usually in the Protestant church, we do not make a confession to people. We say, I can make my confession to God. But sometimes we need somebody who is embodied to remind us that the healing and the grace of God is ours. And we literally need to see them with our own eyes. And we need to hear that with their voice. Because we need to hear that with our own ears. And so maybe you have never confessed before. Other than something in prayerful silence. So uh, we want to show you how to confess. And uh, we're going to put it right here up on the wall. If you want to confess before you and make your offering to God in that way, uh, to offer your anger in that way, you can just say these words. Forgive me for I've sinned. Forgive me because I'm angry. I need to confess my anger and make it an offering. And then Mikhail and I will say some words to you because we want you to know that God is one that wants to redeem and remake the anger into something purposeful and something good. So I invite you to come out the outside aisles. We're going to be standing here. We've even provided kneeling benches. Maybe you want to pr pray at a bench. But I invite you to come out the outside aisles. You, can, you don't have to talk with Michael or I if you don't want to, but we're going to make ourselves available. And then come here to one of these servers and then return back the center aisle, back to your chair. Directions clear? You understand what we're doing? If you don't know what to say, it's here on the wall. And then we would love to say some things to you. Maybe you want to be anointed for healing. The anger is so deep and it's been going on for so long. 
you'd like one of us to anoint you, which we would be more than honored to be able to do. So in just a moment, uh, Mikhail, I think, is going to receive. Come on up here if you would. I will as well. We'll get in our positions, and then we'll invite you to come.